Ladies and Mintelgen, welcome to another amazing episode, no doubt, of the Daily Science Report. And today, I'm going to start this one off with a cool story about a cool Japanese beetle that escapes frog butts. And this comes from the Smithsonian Magazine. I thought this was pretty cool. Things. This is a very Japanese thing. Um, so new research details how this Japanese water beetle travels through the bowels of its predator to emerge out the other end alive and unharmed. Amazing. This is by Nora McGreevy in 2020. This is a two-year-old article, but I'm just learning about this. So here we go. In a video taken by ecologist Shinji Siyura, the tiny aquatic beetle known as Rajimi Barita Atenuata pulls off a death-defying feat to rival Houdini. So, whoop, I'm clicking the link to this video right now. It is a beautiful beetle. Um, I'm absolutely posting this in the comments for you guys to check out while I read this because this is amazing. Um, yeah, I'm going to provide some beautiful video since Colin is working on that right now. Um Back to the article. Let's see here. Oh, crud. I lost my article. Let's see. Where was I reading it? Right here. Okay. Take just a minute to load. Okay. First, frog snags the beetle and gulps it down hole. For a tense 115 minutes, nothing happens. Then the great reveal. The same shiny insect wiggles its way out of the amphibian's anus, leaving both frog and beetle alive and seemingly no worse for the wear. Uh, I would uh, beetle probably better off if he didn't get swallowed. But Segura, a researcher with Kobe University, tells Wired's Matt Simon that he had been planning to study the predator, pre predator prey. I need some water. I apologize. Predator-prey relationship to the study. Mm. Uh, Predator-prey relationship between R. attenuata and the frog because they share a habitat in Japan's rice paddy fields. However, I didn't predict that R. attenuata can escape from the frog vent. I simply provided the beetle to the frogs, expecting that the frogs spat them out in response to the beetle's behavior or something. So strange. Oh my God. They have pictures of it. This is amazing. Thanks science. This is just beautiful. This is absolutely incredible. <laughs> Can't get enough of this really. Uh, according to Kobe university statement, the study marks the first time researchers have witnessed prey quickly and actively escape the body of its predator after being eaten. Sigurd, uh, Sugiura, Sugiura published his findings Monday in the journal Sugura. I don't, I don't we'll go Sugura. Published his findings Monday at the journal in Current Biology. Um, found that a whopping 93.3% of beetles were able to escape via the frog's vent or anus. He found the beetles had similarly high success rates with four other frog species. Wu, Wu reports for the New York Times, the small beetles, iridescent black insects, no longer than four or five millimeters across, were able to make the trip a minimum of six minutes. The longest journey took about four hours. Beetles emerged out the other end covered in feces, but otherwise active and seemingly healthy. Um, 
he hypothesizes the beetle may, be, may have evolved this capability as an anti-frog defense tactic. Uh, when swallowed, other similar water beetles were killed and digested by the frog. The beetle has to make its way through several inches of inner organs, including the esophagus, stomach, small intestine, large intestine, and the digestive juices make for a deadly environment, so speed is imperative. Because some beetles were able to complete the harrowing trip in six minutes, Sigurd concluded that the beetle was actively moving through the frog's insides rather than being passively transported. He tested this theory by immobilizing some of the water beetle's legs, which are used to swim with a sticky wax. None of the immobilized beetles survived, <laughs> but rather were digested and excreted the usual way. Oh my God, this is amazing. This was the smoking gun evidence. They were using their legs, uh, no doubt. So I suspect the beetles also use their legs to stimulate the frog's uh, colloquial sphincter causing it to defecate. However, we need to run more tests to be sure. Oh my God. <laughs> These guys, uh, poor mother nature. Like, come on guys. Let's just, let's just call this case closed. What are we doing? We need battery technology guys. What are we doing? Uh, I love hate science you know it's it's one of those things recorded bombardier beetles spraying a toxic ah yeah he has seen some other gnarly beetle escapes in his time in 2018 he recorded bombardier beetles spraying a toxic chemical cocktail while inside a toad which forced the amphibian to vomit the beetle back out alive frogs are voracious predators forming an irreplaceable role in food webs in most ecosystems um, if you have a good garden, then you'll have a good frog in there. I'll tell you that much. Um, you have lots of good reptiles. So take care of your gardens. Um, that was wild. So I have two other cool articles I'm just going to go through. Actually, three others. Hopefully, it'll make us feel better about what we just went through. This is pretty metal. I'm just going to throw this one out there as a little bonus. Um, apparently, baboons borrow a third of their genetics from genetic cousins. They're hybrids. Um, hybrids from a result of interbreeding. About a third of their genetic makeup consists of genes from another closely related species. Interesting. Um, technology restores, here's the one we're going to actually dive into, uh, technology that restores cell function and organ function in pigs after death. How metal is this? Sometimes science is totally brutal. And this is published August 3rd, 2022 from Yale University, AKA Skull and Bonesman over there at Yale. Uh, go figure they would do some shit like this. Within minutes, I'll read this in an evil voice. Uh, within minutes of the final heartbeat, a cascade of biochemical events triggered by a lack of blood flow, oxygen, and nutrients begins to destroy body cells and organs. A team of scientists has found this massive and permanent cellular failure doesn't have to happen so quickly. 
using a new technology that they developed, which delivers specially designed cell protective fluid to organs and tissues. The researchers restored blood circulation and other cellular functions in pigs a full hour after their deaths. All right, so that was fun. I like reading these articles like that, especially this one. I don't know if they all necessarily work like that, but this is great. Uh, I'll just keep it up as long as it's entertaining to me. Um, so within minutes of a final heartbeat, a cascade of biochemical events triggered by a lack of blood flow, oxygen, and nutrients begins to destroy body cells and organs. But a team of Yale scientists has found a massive and permanent cellular failure doesn't have to happen so quickly. Okay, goddammit, I read it twice. Using a new technology they developed that delivers a specially designed cell protective fluid to organs and tissues. The researchers restored blood circulation and other cellular functions in pigs a full hour after their deaths. They reported this August 3rd in the edition of the journal Nature. Findings may help extend health of human organs during surgery and expand availability of donor organs. Oh, that's nice. All cells do not die immediately. There is more protracted series of events. Uh, that was the associate research scientist in neuroscience at Yale. And it's a process in which you can intervene, stop and restore some cellular function. Research builds upon earlier Yale-led project that restored circulation in certain cellular functions in the brain of a dead pig with technology dubbed Brain X. Dun dun dun. Published in 2019, that study and the new one were led by the lab of Yale's uh, Nanad Sestin, the Harvey and Kate coaching professor of neuroscience and professor of comparative medicine, genetics, and psychiatry. If we are able to restore certain cellular functions in the dead brain, an organ known to be most susceptible to ischemia, which is inadequate blood supply. We hypothesized that something similar could also be achieved in other vital transplantable organs. That was Sestin. Um, in the new study, which involved senior author Sestin and colleagues. Okay, I hate it when we've got to give some credit. You know, but um, I'm going to cite these articles. So if you really are interested in following these scientists, all this information is going to be there for you guys, I promise. But I'm going to skip over some of these names. Just to go on to mention, the technology consists of a perfusion, of a perfusion device similar to heart-lung machines, which do the work of the heart and lungs during surgery, and an experimental fluid-containing compounds that can promote cellular health and suppress inflammation throughout the pig's body. Cardiac arrest was induced in anesthetized pigs, which were treated with organ X an hour after death. Six hours after treatment with organ X, the scientists found that certain key cellular functions were active in many areas of the pig's bodies, including the heart, liver, and kidneys. And some of the organ function had been restored. For instance, they found evidence of electrical activity in the heart, which retained the ability to contract we were able to restore circulation throughout the body, which amazed us. Normally, when the heart stops beating, organs begin to swell, collapsing blood vessels and blocking circulation. Yet circulation was restored and organs in the deceased pigs that received organ X treatment appear, uh, appeared functional at the level of cells and tissue. 
Under the microscope, it was difficult to tell the difference between a healthy organ and one which had been treated with organ X technology after death. Uh, this is so troubling. Why are we doing this? Uh, that could good help with organ transplant. That's nice. Um, as in the 2019 experiment, the researchers also found that cellular activity in some areas of the brain had been restored through organized electrical activity that would indicate consciousness was detected during any part of the experiment. Wait, hold on. This is where it gets interesting. Yep, yep. There were no organized electrical activity that would indicate consciousness. Okay, so while we're getting some electrical signals in the brain, um, there's no organized electrical activity that would indicate consciousness during any part of the experiment. The team was especially surprised to observe involuntary spontaneous muscular movements in the head and neck areas when they evaluated the treated animals, which remained anesthetized through the entire six hour experiment. These movements indicate the preservation of some motor functions. Now, this is not surprising fucking any hunters out there. I'm sorry. Like this is just like the researchers stressed Additional studies are necessary to understand the apparently restored bone functions in animals, the rigorous blah. The experimental protocols for the latest study were approved by Yale's Institutional Animal Care and Use Committee and guided by external advisory committee. Wow, what amazing use. Um, not impressed, honestly, guys. I'm sorry. I mean, it sounds cool. It was really fun to read the beginning of the article like that. But, mm, yeah, I'm going to drop you guys... A link to that science so y'all can follow all those scientists if you want. Get all the credit where credit's due. At least give those guys some cred. We're doing some very difficult science. I'll grant them that. It's not easy to do stuff like that. They're on the cutting edge of some bullshit, but... Um, yeah, it's just not what I would want to be doing if I was a scientist right now, personally. I would want to be studying consciousness in the brain. I think that is pretty cool. So, moving on to the next article here. Ischemia. Yeah, the body's still warm in, in these cases. So, um, something else they left out there. But, anyway. Next article is about the bacteria powering a truly green revolution in personal electronics. Dun, dun, dun. A team of engineers biofilm, a team engineers biofilm <laughs> capable of producing long-term continuous electricity from your sweat. Oh my God. This has been like a dream of mine for years. Like, come on. This is what I'm talking about. This is the kind of science I'm interested in. So shouts out to University of Massachusetts Amherst. Uh, for dropping this bomb of facts on us, this scientific um, mind blower <laughs> on August 2nd. Uh, let's see. Researchers at the University of Massachusetts Amherst recently announced they have figured out how to engineer a biofilm that harvests the energy in evaporation and converts it to electricity. This biofilm, which was announced in Nature Communications, has the potential to revolutionize the world of wearable electronics, powering everything from personal medical sensors to personal electronics. Guys, this is like motherfucking Metachlorians. 
midichlorians, whatever you want to call them. I'm fucking shocked. This is very exciting technology, says Xiao Meng Lu, a graduate student in electrical and computer engineering in UMass Amherst College of Engineering and the paper's lead author who gets all the credit in the world for pumping out this amazing shit. It's real green energy. And unlike other so-called green energy sources, its production is totally green. That's because it's biofilm, a thin sheet of bacterial cells about the thickness of a sheet of paper is produced naturally by an engineered version of the bacteria Geobacter sulfurinducens, uh, G, uh, sulfurinducens. All right. I don't know why we do that twice, but you know how science be. Um, oh, sorry. It's just a new sentence. G sulfur inducens is known to produce electricity and has been used previously in microbial batteries to power electrical devices. But such batteries require that G sulfur inducens is properly cared for and fed a constant diet. By contrast, this new biofilm, which can supply as much, if not more energy than a comparably sized battery works and works continuously because it's, it's dead. And because it's dead, it doesn't need to be fed. What the fuck? What the fuck? Oh, my God. This is much more efficient, uh, said Derek Lovely, the distinguished professor of microbiology at UMass Amherst and one of the paper's senior authors. He goes on to say, we've amplified the process of generating electricity by radically cutting back on the amount of processing needed. We sustainably grow the cells in biofilm and then use that um, agglomeration, agglomeration of cells. This I like that, the agglomeration of cells. This cuts the energy inputs, makes everything simpler, and widens the potential applications. The secret behind this new biofilm is that it makes energy from the moisture on your skin. Though we daily read stories about solar power, at least 50% of the solar energy reaching the earth goes towards evaporating. This is a huge untapped source of energy, says Jun Yao, professor of electrical computer engineering. Since the surface of our skin is constantly moist with sweat, the biofilm can plug in and convert the energy locked in evaporation into enough energy to power small devices. The limiting factor of wearable electronics, says Yao, has always been the power supply. Batteries run down and have to be changed or charged. They're also bulky and heavy and uncomfortable, but a clear, small, thin, flexible biofilm that produces continuous and steady supply of electricity and which can be worn like a Band-Aid applied directly to the skin, solves all of these problems. What makes this all work is that G sulfur inducens grows in colonies that look like thin mats, and each of the individual microbes connects to its neighbors through a series of natural nanowires. The team then harvests these mats and uses a laser to etch small circuits into the films. Once the films are etched, they're sandwiched between electrodes and finally sealed on a soft, sticky, breathable polymer you can apply directly to your skin. One is a tiny, tiny battery plugged in by applying it to your body. It can power small devices. Our next step is to increase the size of our films to power more sophisticated skin wearable electronics, says Yao and Yu. One of the goals is to power entire systems rather than single devices. What? 
what the fuck? Research was nurtured by the Institute for Applied Life Sciences at UMass Amherst, which combines deep and interdisciplinary expertise from 29 departments to translate fundamental research into innovative innovations, sorry, that benefit human health and well-being. This is absolutely amazing. Totally freaking cool. What is going on here? My source for this information provided by University of Massachusetts. Massachusetts. Right, um, this. A link for y'all. And then I'm going to come back and check on y'all. Um, yeah, this is amazing. Um, so... Here is a link, and I'm going to drop this right here, boom. As I have to check, the recording sounds uber interesting. Thanks, Leroy. Um, so nature.com, YouTube. Okay, so here is the article for the wearable skin batteries, and then I'll be going back and going into the next one here. Um, this one might be a cuter article. Let's see what we have next. Ah, a cute one. A new discovery of panda species, which may have been Europe's last. Aww. Fossilized teeth originally found in the 1970s, in fact, belong to a new sizable close relative of the modern giant panda. Ooh la la. Lumbering through the forested wetlands of Bulgaria around 6 million years ago, a new species of panda has been uncovered by scientists who state it's currently the last known and most evolved European giant panda. Interesting. Two fossils of teeth originally found in Eastern European nation in the late 1970s provide new evidence of a sizable relative to the modern giant panda. Unlike today's iconic black and white bear, it was not reliant on purely bamboo. Although not a direct ancestor of the modern genus of the giant panda, it is a close relative, explains Professor Nikolai Spasov, whose findings are today published in the peer-reviewed journal of vertebrate, vertebrate paleontology. The discovery shows how little we still know about inclined in nature and about ancient nature, I'm sorry, and demonstrates that the historic discoveries in paleontology can lead to unexpected results even today. The upper carnassial tooth and upper canine were originally cataloged by paleontologist Ivan Nikolov. And that's cool. They had only one label written vaguely by hand. Yada yada. Fossils of the staple grass that sustains the modern panda are rare in European and especially in Bulgarian late Miocene. Fossil record and cusps of the teeth do not appear strong enough to crush the woody stems. Instead, it likely fed on softer plant materials aligning with the general trend toward increased reliance on plants in this group's evolutionary history. Sharing their environment with other large predators likely drove the giant panda lineage towards vegetarianism. They likely, the likely competition with other species, especially carnivores, presumably other bears, explains a closer food specialization of giant pandas to vegetable food in humid forest conditions. Ooh la la. Giant pandas are a very specialized group of bears. 
Wow. So they are bears. To everyone who says giant panda isn't a bear, um, they're a very specialized group of bears. And even, all right, so this food was the modern giant panda fossils were specialized enough. Okay. So one possible evolutionary trajectory was that it was heading out of Asia and concluding in Europe. However, Professor Spasoff does add caution to this hypothesis, stating the paleontological data show that the oldest members of this group of bears were found in Europe, and that suggested group may have developed in Europe and then headed to Asia, where the ancestors of another genus developed. Those early pandas may have then later evolved into the modern giant panda. So interesting panda science. Goofballs. Uh, yeah, it's cute, but I'm glad I'm not the one that has to study that. Uh, I saw to those guys for doing the hard work. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> but that skin battery, that's something else. That was probably the coolest thing I've come across today. I'm going to skim through some new stuff just to see if there's anything else I want to add in. Dun, 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 dun. Oh my god, this is interesting. Oh wow. Ooh. Read that other one in the past, so one more very cool article here from Health. This one is about how researchers identify how cells move faster through mucus than blood. What the fuck? A specialized cell movement may explain progression of cancer and cystic fibrosis. Cystic fibrosis uh, from the University of Toronto, um, dropped on July 25th of 22. Um, researchers have discovered that certain cells move surprisingly faster and thicker fluid because their ruffled edges sense the viscosity of their environment and adapt to and adapt to increase their speed. Okay. Certain cells move surprisingly faster in thicker fluid because their ruffled edges sense the viscosity of their environment and adapt to increase their speed. Their combined results in cancer and fibroblast cells suggest that the viscosity of a cell's surrounding environment is as important is an important contributor to disease and may help explain tumor progression. Scarring in mucus-filled lungs affected by cystic fibrosis and the wounding wound healing process. Oh, this is interesting. Okay. I'm going to fire up my pipe for this one. <laughs> uh, this is so cool. Oh, I can't find my pipe. What are you my pipe? Oh, there we go. <laughs> All right. Researchers at the University of Toronto, John Hopkins University and Vanderbilt University have discovered certain cells move surprisingly faster in thicker fluid. Think honey as opposed to water. What the fuck? Or mucus as opposed to blood. Because their ruffled edges sense the viscosity of their environment and adapt to increase their speed. Their combined results in cancer in fibroblast cells Okay, I can see this now. 
their combined results in cancer and fibroblast cells, a type that often creates scars and tissues, suggest the viscosity of a cell surrounding environment is an important contributor to disease and may help explain tumor progression. Scarring in mucus-filled lungs affected by cystic fibrosis and the wound healing process. I apologize for re repeating myself so often. Anyway, membrane ruffling is a mecha mechanosensor of extracellular fluid viscosity. That was published in Nature Physics. <clears throat> it sheds new light on cell environments an unexplored area of research. This link between cell viscosity and attachment has never been demonstrated before. Um, we found the thicker the surrounding environment, the stronger the cells adhere to the substrate and the faster they move. Much like walking on an icy surface with shoes that have spikes versus shoes with no grip at all. Understanding why cells behave in this surprising way is important because cancer tumors create a vicious environment, which means spreading cells can move into tumors faster than non-cancerous cells. Uh, non oh, I'm sorry. Uh, it means that spreading cells can move into tumors faster than non-cancerous tissues. Since the researchers observed that cancer cells speed up in a thickened environment, they concluded that the development of ruffled edges in cancer cells may contribute to cancer spreading to other areas of the body. Targeting the spreading response in fibroblasts, on the other hand, may reduce the tissue damage in the muscle, the mucus-filled lungs uh, affected by cystic fibrosis because of the ruffled fibroblasts move more quickly. They are the first type of cells to move through the mucus to the wound, contributing to scarring rather than healing. These results also may imply that by changing the viscosity of the lungs mucus, one can control cell, cell movement. <clears throat> Sorry, my dog's freaking out. By showing how cells respond to what's around them and by describing the physical properties of this area, we can learn what affects their behavior and eventually how to influence it. Okay. And he adds, for example, perhaps if you put a liquid as thick as honey into a wound, the cells will move deeper and faster into it, thereby healing it more effectively. Okay. Put a liquid as thick as honey into a wound. Deeper and faster. Healing more effectively. Ah, like Neosporin. I see. Interesting. Like aloe vera gel. Interesting. Okay, very cool. <clears throat> they used advanced micro microscopy techniques to measure the traction that cells exert to move and changes in structural molecules inside the cells. They compared cancer and fibroblast cells, which have ruffled edges to cells with smooth edges. They determined that ruffled cell edges sense the thickened environment, triggering a response that allows the cell to push through the resistance the the ruffles flatten down, spread out, and latch onto the surrounding surface. The experiment originated at John Hopkins, where Yun Chin, assistant professor of the Department of Mechanical Engineering and lead author of the study, Matthew Pittman, student first author, yada yada yada. Pittman created a vicious a viscous mucus-like polymer solution, deposited it on different cell types, and saw that cancer cells move faster than non-cancerous cells. 
when migrating through the thick liquid. To further probe this behavior, Chin collaborated with U of T's Plotnikov, who specializes uh, in the push and pull of cell movement. Uh, Plotnikov was amazed at the change in speed going into thick mucus-like liquid. Normally, we're looking at slow, subtle changes under the microscope, but we could see the cells moving twice as fast in real time and spreading to double their original size. Typically, cell movement depends on myosin proteins, which help the muscles contract. Um, he reasoned that stopping the myosin would prevent prevent cells from spreading. However, we were surprised when evidence showed the cells sped up despite this action. They instead found that columns of action of actin protein inside the cell, which contributes to muscle contraction, became more stable in response to the thick liquid, pushing further uh, out the edge of the cell. Interesting. The teams are now investigating how to solve the movement of ruffled cells through thickened environments, which may open the door to new treatments for people affected by cancer and cystic fibrosis. Fantastic. Absolutely fantastic work here. Finding for research was provided by Natural Sciences, Engineering Council of Canada. Oh, 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 oh. Oh, Canada, I appreciate you so much. And here's a link that I can provide. <laughs> I think he just wants food. Yes, viscosity bad. Viscosity helps tumor cells move. And we've always kind of known this. If you drink a bunch of sweet, sugary drinks and your blood becomes thick, you know, um, that's a... Um, Inflammation, that kind of thing, is a green light for cancer to spread throughout the body. And I've always presumed it was because the cancer had more energy from the sugar. I'm sure that plays a role as well. Um, but yeah, it looks like we're discovering here that if, if you're not, if you're even something like dehydration could cause uh, cancer cells to spread faster throughout the body. Now, this is just a hypothesis on my part. Like, I'm not a scientist at all. I'm just an article reader. So keep that in mind. But um, yeah, what a cool place to wrap this one up, I think. Um, uh, that was a fantastic article. There's a couple good ones in there. So they're not all good. They're not all as interesting as I hope when I go into it. Um, like the beetle thing. I mean, that was all right. Like, here's the thing to be like, honestly, I'm not shocked that a beetle has developed the ability to be pooped out. Um, I'm surprised. I am shocked that it's taken us this long to discover it. Um, and they have videos of it, which was also amazing. But I, like I said, I wouldn't want to be the scientist that had to, of course, it's just a, my own flavor of science, I guess. Um, if someone likes frogs, finds frogs interesting and likes reptiles and animals. I used to be that way. So I can understand that. So not hating on any of the sciences in particular. Just glad that I'm not the one that had to <laughs> record. Actually, I would have, I would very happily be the guy to record uh frog pooping a beetle out. That was amazing. Um, so yeah, that was actually a great article. But um, it was one of these articles I wasn't so impressed with. I think it was the, um, can't even remember it now. Um, See if I can look it up. Let's go to my head. <laughs>
the the technology that restored the cell organ the cell and organ function in pigs after death that was not very interesting um but you know i mean it sounded cool and so it's kind of hit or miss we're about 50 50 for this episode and i'm pretty happy with that i definitely learned a lot of cool new things which is the end goal of the podcast so hope you guys thought it was cool um if there's anything you would like me to focus on um don't hesitate to let me know and i will make it happen and again all of you guys stay cool um i am a struggling artist if anyone wants to support me by all means reach out if you give me like even one dollar i guarantee i'll start pumping these things out way more often um but yeah there's no pressure there i'll do this out of the pure love so uh, appreciate you guys checking me out and y'all stay curious and cool.